I want to pause just a moment before we continue and thank, well, so many folks I can't possibly thank by name, uh, but in my absence last week, thank Brother Wayne for preaching my absence, and if you were not here or have not heard his message, you need to go back and, and hear that. Satan is alive and well and distracts and confuses and hunts those uh, who are not paying attention. Uh, so pay, uh, go back and hear that message if you haven't already and take, take it seriously, take it to heart. Uh, thank the deacons for their ministry in my absence. And I want to say to you, uh, to all of us, remember that your deacons are there to minister to you and to help you in times of need. That's why, in particular, we always let you know who the deacon of the week is. That's someone you can call if you have a need. So always keep that in mind. But I do appreciate so much their ministry in my absence last week, uh, four of you, uh, hospitalization, surgeries, they were there and they ministered and we do appreciate our deacons so much, our worship team, everyone involved and thank everyone who stepped up and made Thursday night's mission rally a great time of, of celebration and worship uh, and made First Baptist Church proud. I can't possibly name everybody by name, you know who you are. Thank you for your service, for your work, for everything that went into that. Good for you. Thank you for that. Uh, find in your Bible with me this morning a familiar passage of Scripture, John chapter 11, and just hold your place there for a minute. John, Gospel of John in chapter 11, and just hold your place there. We're going to return this morning to our series We've been talking about how Christ sets us free. And in the first installment in the series, we considered that Christ sets us free from sin and death. That, that's number one. Christ sets us free from sin and death. And then we're looking into uh, areas of life that, he, that we can experience that freedom. We don't have to, to be anchored down into the, the worry of life, the grief of life, as we'll see today, the struggles that weigh us down. We don't have to be anchored there because Christ has set us free, and by faith, we can trust Him for every avenue and area of our life. So today, we are going to consider how Christ sets us free from the grip of our grief, from the grip of our grief. When we think of grief, we think of that core kind of grief, the loss of a loved one, uh, that shadow that haunts us all of our lives, and, and just about everybody in this room knows what's that lo what that's like. We, we've lost a loved one, maybe recently, maybe it's been a long time ago, but the memory is still there, sometimes the, the struggle is still there, we know what that grief is like. But there are actually other kinds of grief, because grief is an emotional response to loss. That's what it is. In fact, sometimes we grieve over change in our lives. And one of the reasons that you know, we talk about it and we joke about it, nobody likes change. Well, the truth is, change isn't the problem. Loss is the problem. And one of the reasons we don't like change in our lives is because change is a kind of a loss. You take a new job, you're leaving something behind. You, you, you move into a new Sunday school classroom, you're, you're leaving something behind. You... Uh, the music changes, the friends change, whatever changes in your life, there's a sense of loss that goes along with that. And we may not even realize it, but sometimes we grieve over that loss. And maybe we're grieving because of, a, of an adult child that has strayed from the faith we raised them in. Maybe we're grieving over financial loss. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's a broken heart. Maybe it's something else in your life. And, and what you never realized was 
the emotions you're experiencing are emotions associated with loss. You're grieving. What we find in Scripture is that whenever the Bible speaks to the grief of a loss of a loved one, those principles apply to every kind of loss and grief. Did you know that? See, God understands us so well that he goes ahead and he points out the most difficult, desperate kind of loss, the loss of a loved one. We're going to see this morning, he meets us face to face in the loss of a loved one. But the biblical principles that apply there apply to every kind of loss. So if, if you're in here this morning, and maybe you say, well, that, that grief of a loss of a loved one doesn't apply to me, or it's not fresh in my life, or I moved on from there. Maybe that's what you're thinking. But listen, God speaks to us in our grief. He knows exactly where you are and what you're going through. So we're going to zero in on being set free from the grip of the grief of the loss of a loved one. Remembering that being set free doesn't mean we're, we're going to forget that loved one. We're, we're, not going to, we're not going to do that. We're not even saying that your emotions and your sense of loss are invalid. That's not what we're talking about. What we want to learn is how God meets us there and by extension meets us in every kind of loss and grief that we might go through. The great writer and Christian thinker C.S. Lewis suffered loss in his life. Just as, as a child, he suffered the loss of his mother, and he writes later that he, his brother, and his father uh, never got over the loss of his mother when he was a child, that, that once she was gone, it changed their lives forever. And then later, he would write about the loss of his wife, Joy Davidman. He wrote a book called A Grief Observed, which is a very personal reflection of his grief over the loss of his wife. And this is the sum of the observations that he makes. He says, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. He said, I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness. And I keep on swallowing all the time. He said, there's a, there's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me, and I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps hard to want to take it in, because honestly, it's just uninteresting. Yet others want to be about me. And I dread the moments that the house is empty. If only they would talk to one another and not to me. And then he writes, part of every misery is, so to speak, the misery shadow or reflection. The fact that you don't merely suffer, but you have to keep on thinking about the fact that you suffer. He said, I not only live each endless day in grief, but I live each day thinking about living each day in grief. Lewis likened his grief to what the Bible calls the valley of the shadow of death. And he would write, he understands now why the Bible doesn't call it the valley of death. Because it's the shadow that brings the grief and never goes away. All of us experience grief. One time or another, one way or another, all of us experience grief. It's part of the human experience. So the question is, what does God want us to know? What biblical principles apply? What does God, how does God respond to our grief when we're suffering loss? This morning, we're going to look in John chapter 11, a story famously known as the raising of Lazarus from the grave. 
as we get toward Easter, we'll talk more about, uh, we'll return to the idea of death, and we'll talk more about how God conquers death through the resurrection of Christ. But this morning, we're going to look at this very famous story in a slightly different way. See, the thing about the raising of Lazarus from the grave, the, the way that we title the story, is that it could also be titled a story of grief, the grieving of Lazarus' sisters and even of Jesus. Because in order for Lazarus to be raised from the grave, Lazarus had to die. And when Lazarus died, grief set in to all of his family and all of his friends. And that's where we step into the story. Let me, let me give you just a little bit of background. Many of you are familiar with the story, and it takes up a lot of space in Scripture because it's so important. In fact, the Bible teaches that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, it was the turning point of the animosity of the religious leaders. It was actually the moment at which they decided they would kill him and have him executed. And they even considered having Lazarus killed. At the same time, that's the end of the story. Where we're going to step into it looks like this. Lazarus has died. Now, when Lazarus died, Jesus was in walking distance of the town of Bethany where Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, lived. And we already know that Jesus has good friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus is one of Jesus' best friends. So Jesus is with his disciples in traveling distance. Word comes to him that Lazarus is sick and near death. But Jesus does not leave to go to Bethany to heal Lazarus. The disciples question him on this. Why don't you get up and go? You can heal anybody. We've seen you do it. Why won't you go heal your best friend? And his response to that is because God has a greater purpose. God has something you need to learn. And the only way, get this, the only way you can learn it is for Lazarus to die. What? Yeah. So finally they find out Lazarus has passed away. He's been buried. They go to the town. When they arrive at the town, Jesus has Martha come out and meet him. Martha, the older sister, busy, busy, busy sister, comes out to meet him on the road. That's where we pick up the story. Uh, now another point in the story that I want to, to point out uh, is the, the tradition of the day that when someone died in the Jewish culture and in the ancient world, people would come to the house and they would mourn. There were even professional mourners. Uh, they would come and they would grieve and they would wail with you and they would rally around the family uh, and they would wail and scream and cry and spend time with the family. And many of them were sincere mourners. They, they were worried about the family. And think about this, it's very, it's very similar to what we do today. When someone passes away, we bring food, we come and sit, and we come and pray and, and spend time with the grieving family. That's a good thing. But in the ancient world, it was actually part of the ritual, and the people didn't necessarily uh, have that on their hearts. They weren't necessarily loving on the grieving family, they were showing up because tradition dictated that they wail and they mourn and that they were loud and they rend their clothes and they suffer in silence if necessary for the grieving family. So there are mourners in this mix. And what's going to happen in this story is God's going to make a distinction in principle of what the Bible teaches between the way Christians mourn and grieve and the way non-Christians mourn and grieve. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul wrote, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, a euphemism for those who have died, so that, listen, you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. 
So you, Christians, believers, will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. The Bible doesn't say don't grieve. The Bible doesn't say so you will not grieve. The Bible says so that when you grieve, you will not grieve like those who do not know Christ. There's a difference. Because Jesus changes everything. And knowing Christ changes everything, even our understanding of grief and loss. Even the way we grieve, the Bible says. So we have a contrast, an intentional contrast by God's providential design between Jesus showing up and the mourners in the house. The mourners in the house mourn as those who have no hope. And Christ makes the difference for those who do have hope. So look at this with me. John chapter 11, we're going to start reading in verse 23. This is what the Bible says. Jesus has arrived, Martha has come out to him. The Bible says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and he is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was, staying, but still, uh, was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let me pause there for a moment. and Notice no one disputes that. Everyone agrees with that. If Jesus had been there, he could have healed Lazarus. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Verse 35, by the way, the famous shortest phrase in the Bible, Jesus wept. It means that Jesus cried out aloud. He didn't cry quietly. He was wailing sincerely in contrast to the mourners who were wailing as those who have no hope, Jesus, both God and man, was weeping and wailing for a moment for the loss of his friend. Verse 36. So the Jews said, that's why they say this, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who have opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? How is it that Jesus could love Lazarus so much and let him die? Everybody wonders that. The disciples wonder that. The mourners wonder that. The religious leaders wonder that. The village of Bethany wonders that. Martha and Mary, they wonder that. How could you be such good friends with Jesus? How could you love him so much and still let him die? Jesus' answer remains through the story. Go back and finish it tonight. Because God has a greater purpose. God has a greater purpose. Even in your grief, even in your loss, God has a greater purpose. This morning, I want us to consider how God responds to your grief. Maybe you're grieving right now. Maybe it's fresh. Maybe it's long term. Maybe you've gone through different stages, different parts, different places, different seasons along the way with your grief. How does God respond to your grief? Look at this with me. First of all, God comes to you 
in your grief. God comes to you in your grief. Jesus made the trip to Bethany. See, God is always intentional, and God is always proactive, and God is always purposeful, and though Jesus stayed back, he, he said it's for a purpose. Because God, God has a bigger reason, a higher purpose for what's happening here. You need to see God do something you've never seen God do before. So that even though as a man, though he's fully God and fully man, as a man he felt the loss of his friend, he served God's higher purposes. And when the time came, Jesus went to Bethany. So in your grief, God comes to you. It's a very simple principle. In your grief, God comes to you. Psalm 34, verse 18, the Bible says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Uh, the term translated brokenhearted would be more literally smashed hearts. You ever felt that way? Your heart is smashed into pieces. And those crushed in spirit, slightly different image, it's those who are subdued by their suffering. It weighs you down so much, you feel like you can't do anything. Go anywhere. Talk to anyone. Crushed. Weighted down in spirit. What does God do? He is near to you. He comes to you. You're not feeling that way because of the absence of God. Oh, no, no. Your response is a response of grief. It's human nature. We all have the experience. It's part of the human experience. What believers need to understand so that we, we grieve as people with hope is that God comes to you in your grief. Now look at this. Secondly, God calls to you in your grief. God calls to you in your grief. It's notable, isn't it? Jesus stayed on the road outside the village until Mary came out to him. He didn't go into the house. He stayed on the road. He didn't go in there and associate himself with those who grieve as if they have no hope. He stayed out on the road and called to those who needed hope. The mourners in the room, they, they don't realize that Martha's come in and quietly said to Mary, the Lord is out on the, on the road and he's, he's calling for you. And she hops up, and the Bible says she's been crying, she's been weeping, and she, she hops up and she goes out there. Well, they see her go, and their assumption, notice this, their assumption is she's going back to Lazarus' tomb to grieve there. See, those who grieve and have no hope fixate on death. That's one of the differences between believers and unbelievers. Those who have no hope fixate on the loss. They fixate on death. But for those who believe, Jesus calls us to Him to focus on life. To focus on the Lord. To focus on Christ. And in your grief, the tendency will be to fixate on death. To fixate on the loss. But remember, God calls you to Him to focus on life, to focus on Him. He's the life giver. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the one that changes everything. You know, the Bible says elsewhere, you have turned my mourning, that is my grief, into dancing. That's an extraordinary thing. 
No, the point is, Jesus changes everything. When God calls you to Him, Jesus changes everything. So God comes to you, then He calls you to Him. He wants you to see Him. He wants you to focus on Him in your grief. And then third, God comforts you in your grief. And this is really the point, isn't it? This is why He comes to you. This is why He calls to you. He comforts you in your grief. That's our greatest need, is comfort. And sometimes people are very disappointed in their friends and family in a time of loss. Let's be real honest. We struggle with that. We feel, just as C.S. Lewis pointed out, sometimes the, uh, for those who have lost a loved one, the worst place to be is at home alone. And then sometimes we, we wonder where the people are. Why aren't they coming to us? Why aren't they comforting us? And why do we struggle with that? Because we want comfort. But sometimes we're looking for comfort, only the comfort that God can give from the people around us. I believe that we should comfort one another. The Bible teaches we should go to one another, comfort one another, pray for one another. But let's make sure we understand that, that those who grieve with hope focus on the one who gives life. We seek our comfort from him. When God comforts us, we experience his comfort in four ways. First of all, he comforts you by his presence. By his presence. God is with you. It's just a fact. God is with you. In your heartache, in your grief, God is with you. You are not alone. Uh, C.S. Lewis used the same scripture from Psalm 23. Uh, it says this, Even when I go through the darkest valley, we know it is the valley of the shadow of death in some translations, I fear no evil, for you are with me. I fear no danger, no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, what? Comfort me. I know that you're with me, God, in this valley. I know that you're walking with me in this shadow. But God, you never leave me. You never forsake me. Isaiah 51 and verse 12, the Lord is so specific here. He, he says his name twice. This is God speaking. Isaiah 51, 12, I, I am the one who comforts you. Who are you that you should fear humans who die? Or a son of man who is given up like grass? In other words, human beings are temporary vessels. They can bring good comfort to you. Your friends and your family can help you. But God and God alone can comfort you eternally. God and God alone is, is where life is. Truth is. That's who can really comfort you. He can use people. But it's God that you need. His presence that you need. Go back sometime and read the book of Job. The book of Job is a good illustration of this. If you know the story, Job lost everything. Lost everything. The book of Job is the Bible's answer to why do, good things, why do bad things happen to good people. Why in the world do godly people suffer? Did you know the book of Job, just as, as an aside, the book of Job is, the, uh, of all the books of the Bible, the earliest as far as when it was written. It comes roughly in the middle of the Old Testament, was actually the first one out of all the books of the Bible that God decided to keep and include in the Bible because he knew we would need it. And then in the book of Job, Job loses everything. He loses his kids, he loses his land, he loses his money, he loses wealth, he loses health, he loses everything but his wife, and she's not a very pleasant person. 
So his friends come to him. They're knowledgeable. They're religious. And three of them give him very religious answers. And the number one religious answer of the day is, evidently, God doesn't like you. Why else would you lose everything? You're a sinner. Own up to it. What did you do that made God mad? And Job's response is consistently is, no. He and I are on good terms. That's not the answer. Another friend comes and seeks to comfort Job primarily by saying, you know what, Job, I'm not sure about this either. I've known you a long time, and I don't think that's it either. Job, through the whole book, says, I appreciate you guys comforting me. He has conversations. He opens up. They love on him. They do their best. But at the end of it all, he consistently says, I need God. I don't need answers. I need God. And see, God knows that about us. Answers help. People help. But it's the presence of God that changes everything. So when we grieve, God comforts us by His presence. Secondly, God comforts you by His promises. The Word of God is absolute, and it is never, cha never changes. It's absolutely true all the time for every generation. The promises of God in His Word are what you and I rely on all the time. In your grief, make sure you're in His Word. Even when you struggle with with the shadow of it, the weight of the grief, even when you, you look at his word and you wonder, God, I, I'm just not absorbing it. Stay in his word. Listen to his word. His promise is true. Psalm 119, verse 50. This is my comfort in affliction. Your promise given to me. In my affliction, in my grief, in my suffering, this is my comfort, God. You have promised me your presence. You have promised me hope. You have promised me life. I do not grieve as those who have no hope because I have the word of God and the promises of God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are those who mourn. That sounds odd, doesn't it? Why? For they will be comforted. Did you know your grief gives you an opportunity to experience the comfort of God in a way you wouldn't otherwise? Jesus says, that's a blessing because you will know God. You will know his presence. And this is his promise. You will be comforted when you draw near to him. He comforts us by his presence. He comforts us by his promise. Third, God comforts us by his perspective. We need God's eternal perspective on our condition, on our situation. We need God to help us understand suffering and grief from his point of view. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, For I consider, now let's pause there just a minute. Here's what Paul is saying. The term literally means I thought about this. That's what he, I sat down and I thought about this, and here's what I came up with. I thought about this. I consider that. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. This is not all there is, Paul says. And I must never forget in my grief, in my loss, in my suffering, my affliction, my heartache, even persecution, Paul says, I must never forget this is not all there is. And what comes next is a glory far beyond the grief that I experience now. 
My grief pales in comparison. It's real. It hurts. It's a weighty shadow. But don't forget what comes next. Don't forget what comes next. In 1991, Jerry Sitzer was driving a minivan with his four children, his mother and his wife, and they were hit head-on by a drunk driver. One child, his wife, and his mother were killed in the accident, leaving Sitzer to raise three children alone. One of those children was the, his, his boy, his son, named David. And David was one of these reflective types. He was thoughtful about things. And, and Sitzer would write later in a book that he wrote that recorded their grief and their loss and how the Lord spoke to them. He wrote in that book about how David would work through the loss of his mother step by step, a little bit at a time. And he said often it was in the car that David would suddenly speak up. So he said they were driving somewhere one time and everything was quiet and he knew that David was sitting over there ruminating on, on something about life or grief or loss or what. And suddenly David asked his dad, he said, Dad, do you think Mom sees us now? And he said, I, I think so, son. Why do you ask? And David said, well, I ask because... Everybody in heaven is supposed to be happy. And we're very, very sad. How can she bear our sadness in a place where everybody's happy? And Sitzer said he thought about that for a minute, and this is how he responded to his son. He said, David, I think she sees us, but when she sees us, she sees the whole story. We just see our part. But she sees everything. She knows, that the whole, she knows the whole story, and he said this, and she knows that the story is good. And Sitzer would go on to write, he said, that is our answer because of the cross and the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection is God's response to our suffering, to our heartache, to our grief, to our loss. It's God's response to death itself. Everything we understand Every answer we have in life is because of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. It's the whole story. It's the whole story. God comforts us by his perspective. Always remember, God's picture is much bigger than what we see. And when you're going through grief or loss, this is why you need to come to him. This is why you need to answer his call. This is why you need to heed his promise and believe what he says. He is present with you. He is present with you. As Jesus said to the sisters, I am the resurrection and the life. I have the whole story in mind. And God and God alone can give you his perspective. Then last, God comforts you by his purpose. God comforts you by his purpose. God doesn't waste anything. And when we surrender to him, when we submit to him, even in our suffering, our heartache, and our loss, we can know that God can use that for his greater glory and for his purposes. He doesn't ignore our hurt. It doesn't mean that he relishes our hurt. What it means is that he can take that hurt and bring comfort to us by letting us know there can be a purpose to it. Just as Jesus had said to the disciples, to the people there, there's a bigger reason for Lazarus dying. It's so you can see God do something you've never seen before. You can see me raise him from the dead. You can watch it happen. And God will be glorified in that.
The Apostle Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Through the comfort we, re we ourselves receive from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. God comforts you so that you can comfort others. So that when someone comes alongside you and says, I'm hurting, I'm suffering, I'm grieving, you can say honestly, I know how that feels. Many times I've met with families and met with folks who were suffering and struggling and, and grieving, and many, many times I have said, you know what, I have suffered loss as well, but I can't honestly tell you and I won't say to you, I know how you feel. I won't do that. I understand how you feel because I understand grief and loss. But I can also tell you there is one who fully understands how you feel, fully grasps how you feel. And I can say with all confidence, he will help you through this and you will have a purpose, a purpose in this. If you've suffered grief and loss, consider this. There is someone and you know how they feel. And you can say, beyond saying I understand how you feel, you can say, I know how you feel. I too lost a spouse. I too lost a child. I too lost a loved one. I too suffered bankruptcy. I too have had cancer. I too am walking through these difficult losses just like you are. God comforts you so you can comfort others. God has a purpose in that. Thursday night, if you were at the missions rally, you know what I'm talking about. If not, just to fill it in a bit. It was a series of stories and testimonies and opportunities to see missions at work uh, that circulated around the theme of my story and how, my, how God puts my story in his story. And every person that came up and gave testimonies talked about their story and how God would use their story. One of the most compelling for me was uh, that of Pastor Brad Ferguson at New Beginnings Community Church. And Pastor Brad got up to share uh, his experience of taking a mission trip to Moldova a year ago uh, in July. So a year ago this July, right after the Russian invasion. So he, he partnered with a group and joined a group that went to Moldova to help in missions there, uh, to bring encouragement and to comfort to the people there. Now, he also shared that that July trip was just a little bit after the one-year anniversary of the loss of his wife, Diane, who passed away in May of 2021. And he said at the time, he, he was still hurting, he was still grieving, and he was asking God, why am I, you know, why am I doing this now? And he, he thought about it more in terms of himself, of going there and, and focusing on missions and, and seeing God work in a different way. But he said what surprised him was when he arrived there, he realized that God was connecting him with people who, them, who they also had suffered loss. That, that the loss of Diane, his grief through the loss of Diane, is the way he connected with them. It's the way he ministered to them. It's the way he comforted them. It was the mission he brought to them. It was the conversations that opened up. His understanding of grief and loss was the reason that he was there. God comforts us by his purpose. 
That's why it's so important that we don't fixate on death, but we focus on the life giver. When we fixate on death and, what, and the loss we have suffered, we may miss God's purpose. We may forget that God never wastes anything. And God may bring somebody into your life. That's how you connect. Maybe you're the one that speaks hope into their hopeless life. Maybe you're the one that speaks the promises of God into their doubting life. Maybe you're the one that reminds them of the presence of God when they feel so alone. And you're the one that can say, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Because I've been there too. And for all of us who grieve, never forget this. God gave his son to die on the cross. You ever wonder if God knows how you feel? God had one son. And he sent him into the world for the purpose that he would be crucified and die on the cross for you. And Jesus went by faith to the cross, believing his father that resurrection would be three days away. And God raised him from the grave. When you grieve, remember, you do not grieve as those who have no hope. You grieve as those who know there's hope. You know there's hope. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment. Nobody looking around. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to pray for you. You at home also, this is for you. If you're watching from home, heads bowed, eyes closed. If right now you find yourself grieving loss, the loss of a loved one, another kind of loss, if right now you, you're in that shadow, I want to pray for you. God knows where you are. God knows who you are. God knows your loss. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's fresh. But God knows who you are. I want to pray for you. Would you lift your hand up where you are? Good, thank you. Heavenly Father, you see these hands and you know our hearts. God, many in this room have, and at home, have gone through a season. It's been quite a while since that loss took place and our grief is not as fresh as it was. But the loss is still there and it still impacts us. Then there are others, Father, that it's fresh, it's new, it's recent. And it could be there are many of us, God, that no matter when that loss took place, we haven't had, we've had a hard time getting moving forward. It still has a grip on us. So God, I pray for all of us, Father. I pray for your comfort, for your presence. I pray we would saturate ourselves in your promises. I pray, God, we would have your perspective from your word and we would remember, God, what you teach about loss. I pray, God, we would never grieve as those who have no hope. But instead, God, we would turn to you. We would not fixate on the loss, God. We would focus on our Lord, the life giver. God, we praise you for the hope that we have, the purpose that lies ahead. And Father, while we may not see it right now, God, we know that it's there. So God, I pray for us. I pray for comfort. I pray for grace. I pray for help. I pray, God, that you would meet those grieving right where they are right now. They would know, God, your presence right now. And God, we thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. We thank you, God, that we don't have to have all the answers. We thank you, God, for you and for Jesus and for the resurrection. We thank you, God, you never leave us or forsake us. So God, again, we give you our grief. We come to you as you call to us. And 
We give you our grief. God, comfort us even in this time. Father, I pray for those that have other burdens and needs and cares, God. Whatever they might be, Father, we give those to you today. I pray for those, God, with unconfessed sin in our hearts. We need revival and renewal. I pray, God, as you show us those sins in our lives, we would confess those to you. God, I pray for those who need Christ. And today would be the day they receive Jesus as their Savior, whether here or at home. To pray this very simple prayer, God, in faith to trust Christ as their Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. I know that I've tried, God, and I know that it's futile. I'm just not that good. So Jesus, I ask by faith, you would come into my heart and into my life. I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive today. And I repent of my sins and turn my life over to Christ, the life giver today. And God, I pray for others of us who, who need to make other decisions, whether it's to join fellowship with this church, be baptized, whatever it is. God, how I pray you would move in our midst and move in our homes today that we would make those decisions for Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.